it doesn't matter what the name is over your church or what all of your practices are, but we desperately need to come together for such a time as this. Well, hey everyone, it's Jason here, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. I'm here, as I seem to be in every episode now, with my friend Leash Chinchilla. Leash, how you doing? I am doing well, Jason. Well, as always, I am honored to be here with you. I love this podcast. I love what we're doing. Um, why don't you tell us a bit more about what's happening these days in the CCLN world? Yeah, a few episodes ago, I was able to introduce the Future Church Leaders Incubator, which is a project that we've been cooking up as a team for a long time. It's a two-year program designed for young pastors who feel called to long-term senior leadership in a local church in Canada. I know that sounds very specific. We're trying to find a way to come alongside young pastors who have you know more than five years experience in a local church have not necessarily, but likely finished if they're doing a Bible college or even master's study. Like they've done the education part of the journey. They have local church experience, but they want to get into a cadre or a learning experience that can elevate their leadership as they prepare to take that next step. And so we designed the Future Church Leaders Incubator for young pastors who are on that trajectory, or even young pastors who have just started leading a church, but want to get into a group and grow. And so the two-year program includes four retreats in different cities across Canada and some in other parts of the world, monthly cohorts and mentorship and learning opportunities and a custom learning plan and coaching plan to elevate their own pastoral experience, their leadership journey and spiritual formation. And so now's the time to register. If you know somebody who you think should apply for this program, or if you are interested, go to cclm.ca slash incubator, sign up today, it closes really soon, and we'd love to see your registration, and we can't wait to welcome kind of this first class of 15 people into this program. Wow, that's amazing. Well, today, we have John and Helen Burns on with us from Relate Church. They are the founding and teaching pastors there, and they've done a lot of writing and traveled around the world speaking at different venues and different churches, and they're incredible, and we are so thrilled to have them on with us today. We did something unique for this episode. I got to co-interview them with Anne Miranda. We had Anne as a guest a number of episodes ago, and she's getting more and more involved. She's on the pastoral advisory team for CCLN, and she's incredible voice. And she's going to be doing a number of interviews down the road with church leaders for the podcast. But I wanted her to co-interview John and Helen with me because she became a Christian under their leadership, the church that they led for a long time, Relate Church, formerly called Victory Christian Center. That's where Anne found her way in, I think, as like a late teenager or maybe in her early 20s. And she described this incredibly powerful story. And I think that was my favorite part of the conversation was her sharing how she became a Christian in their church. And if you know Anne, you know just how much God is doing through her life. And so to see that connection with John and Helen happen, and John and Helen, that really is a picture of their values. They're about the next generation. And we talked a lot about what it looks like as somebody who's later on in ministry being for the next generation, that that's not just the youth pastor's responsibility, and what it means for senior leaders to actually be cultural carriers of the kind of church that can engage and empower young people. So that's a bit of what we talked about, and I think people are going to really enjoy hearing Anne's story. Wow. So good. So cool. I am so excited. So let's just jump right into that conversation right now. Well, John and Helen, this is an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for making time to hang out with me and Anne and the crew listening in today. We're thrilled. You guys are the best. And we get like two for one deal. Like either of you are just an absolutely compelling guest to have, but then to have the two of you together. Thanks for being willing to do it together. I always lean on my wife. As long as she's with me, I'm I'm safe. Everything's <laughs> everything's going to be good. Everybody loves Helen. Oh. And then they put up with me. Yeah, I don't I, I think there's there's no putting up with that at all. I think it's just a lot of love. You guys are so well loved. One of the interesting things is wherever I go around the world, I say where I'm from and they go, "Do you know John Helen Burns?" <laughs> And uh, I'm always very, very proud to say, yeah, we, we're kind of friends. We're sort of friends. And you guys are well-loved around the world, and you're well-loved uh, here in Canada. We're just so grateful for your time. For those that maybe don't know um, your story, we'll talk a lot about Relate Church and the story there. But just give us a little window into what you're up to these days, because you guys have 
passed the baton in a sense of leadership in that most senior role of the church. But give us a little bit of a window into the different building blocks of your ministry world and family life these days. Well, um, we did pass the baton to our oldest daughter, Angela, and her husband, Rod, and they're doing a phenomenal job. And we're really proud of our daughter. To have a daughter as a lead pastor in a great church is just, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's such a pride, you know, a proud thing for me. Mm-hmm. A dad, good pride. Yeah. It's yeah. the good kind. The God it's God a good kind pride, of pride, pride yeah, it's for awesome. sure. But um, so what we end up doing is what kind of has organically happened in our life over the last, what, like 20 years, where we've traveled a lot mm-hmm. and uh, taught on marriage, family, and, you know, relationship stuff. And um, in doing that, I, I just, you know, I think it was just the other day we were talking about what do you miss in this COVID time? And, you know, you know, do you miss travel? I don't miss the airplanes. I don't miss the security lines. I don't miss all that. I miss the friends that we've built. Mm-hmm. And the friends are so often it's families and it's mm-hmm. young, it's young pastors. And so we've kind of, um, you know, developed this ministry where we just help. It's kind of like mom and dad sometimes or grandma, grandpa to young pastors and their families. Yeah, that that's it. So this is a, it's kind of been a fun transition season. We were transitioning anyhow and, and life had changed a lot. And then of course, 2020 hits and it, it shocks all of us, but it really has made us reevaluate what are the things that we are truly called to? What are the things that we can build on today? And so as John talked about, it's been fun to stay connected globally, um, but it just looks a little different right now, but we've never been more passionate about building church, really love the church more than ever, building um, families and marriages as much as we can. And we've never been more in love with our nation um, and feeling a sense of destiny louder than ever to help in any way that we can here at home. Hmm. Oh, I love it so much. Okay. So many things you talked about that I want to chat about. I want to chat about um, what are young leaders needing and by way of encouragement, I want to talk about succession I want to talk about why you love the local church. But first, we're trying a new thing. Anne's with us today. Anne is the best. And she was a guest with us a while ago. And then at the end of the conversation, I'm like, could you just keep coming on and hanging out? But she's got a connection to your church. And so, Anne, I just want you to kind of help us make that connection and how you were impacted by John and Helen in their early years of church leadership. Yeah. So at that time, they were leading a church called Victory Christian Center, and which is now relate. Um, and imagine a 19-year-old girl walking into this building, never, ever been set foot in an in a church before like this. I hear the music and think I'm at a nightclub because it's so good. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what is this place? And as I walked through, I thought, okay, I'm just going to take a back seat. No, I'm going all the way to the front, practically. Like, it was like the third row from the front. And my friend says, this is where we're going to sit. And it was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel preached like that. And I remember um, that I was healed physically. I'm giving you the short version, but it basically, Pastor John interrupts his message to say someone in this space is going to be healed physically. And I was that same day, Um, as well as at the very end, he did a good old fashioned altar call. And here was this 19 year old girl that was wearing a ton of masks, trying to figure out life and doing the best that she could, thinking I had so many successes under my belt. And that word pierced my heart, uh, Jason. It was, Pastor John won't remember it. I remember it like, yeah, I feel like he's preached a million messages, but that one was for me. And so he preached this message. I don't remember all the all the details of the message, but I remember at the very end, he said, if you want Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, come to the front. Oh, Lord Jesus. I have to now walk to the front. I, and this lady behind me tapped my shoulder and went, the Lord is talking to you, isn't he? And I said, yes, he is. And she walked me to the front. And there in the that space, every time I get I go there, I get all weepy and emotional because I 
Uh, you're, you're doing it to me too. <laughs> I remember your black shiny shoes, Pastor. Like, Tell them why. Really Tell them why. <laughs> why do you remember my black shiny shoes? My tears were dripping on his shoes because he had happened to stand beside me. And I remember I closed my eyes really tight thinking, I just, my tears fell on this man's shoes. Oh my goodness. Jesus, I love you, but this is like, I'm, I'm, I dirtied his shoes. And later on, as I started to learn the, the scriptures, I, uh, now I'm going to start crying, Jason. The Latin on, on, in Romans, or how beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel of peace. And I, that picture, I will never forget because that gospel came to my life through this amazing couple. Now, we didn't build relationship then. But it was when I entered into, when God called me into ministry, that we connected again, now as leaders that are, you know, leading the church body, the Big C Church in this nation. And again, John and Helen have been pivotal in my life, in my family, in my marriage, pouring into me. And so I would love to ask them the question, as they pour into so many others, um, their heart for this nation. Can we start there? What is your, your heart for Canada? Because you're all over the globe, but you have a special place for Canada in your heart. Oh, we love Canada, but you're probably going to have to have Helen talk because after you finished, I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> to me, nothing touches my heart more than someone um, yeah. whose eternity is changed. And I love the church because I love the miracle that happens when mm -hmm. God shows up and lives are changed and Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Oh. It's one of my favorite stories because <laughs> I look at you, Anne. I look at you and well, how God is using you in such a profound way. And I love to see you in this mix with Jason. I love what God is doing. I love Canada so much. My, um, my parents came here with nothing. Um, and the year that they, they arrived in, in the winter of 1954 in it going into uh, 1955 and I was born 10 months later and uh, and so the first of my big Mennonite family coming from South America into Canada the land of promise and so my parents taught me such a love for this nation I come from a, a beautiful history too of people who built church my grandfather was a, a pastor in South America and so that generational blessing and heritage has been passed on to me, and I'm so grateful, and I've always felt this responsibility to steward it and to steward it um, well. I feel the weight of that, and, and it's a good, healthy weight when someone has carved out a costly pathway. Because uh, mine, if you know the story of the Mennonites, they all escaped out of Russia with just the, really the clothes on their back and a faith burning in their hearts. And everywhere they went, they brought that faith. And and I'm a recipient of that. And so I've always um, longed to see uh, great things happen. Not, to, not only do I love this nation and love to serve this nation and feel so blessed and honored to be a part of this nation, proudly Canadian in the best sense of the word, but we have had the privilege of seeing a lot of the world from, you know, we've been a lot of places and have been a part of sharing the gospel there. But my heart burns the brightest to see revival and life come to this nation. Though our population is quite small when you look at it in, in light of how big this land is, I just see lighthouses across this land and we long to see many, many more. I feel like God gave me a vision of just lighthouses burning across this land and many more than you could even expect. Many that we haven't seen turn the lights on yet, but they're coming. And I believe the best days are ahead for this nation. And I think we're uniquely positioned for such a time as this to see life and light come. So I will pour my life and my heart and my prayers into this nation. And if I could just give you a bit of the story that um, kind of you know illuminates how much we love this nation. Back in 2015, um, you know, I was um, part of who brought ARC into Canada, and I was you know the president of ARC at that time. And now 
Jason's father-in-law, mm-hmm. Brent Candelon, is, is the president. Yeah. But we had our very first meeting in Toronto, and we had the president from, from United States of ARC, you know, Greg Surratt, come. And he still talks about this because we had finished, the, the, you know, the two days and we were ready to say goodbye to everybody. And Brent jumps up and says, hold it, hold it. We, we, we can't go until we sing the national anthem. So <laughs> we all began to sing, oh, you know, oh, Canada. But we get to the place where he says, now this is where we lift our hands. God, keep our land. And there was not a dry eye in that place. And my heart for bringing ARC into Canada, it's a church planting organization. And, uh, you know, Helen and I um, travel all over the world and, and we know a lot of young pastors, but we didn't know that many in Canada. And I just felt that our nation was a little dry or arid when it comes to churches and new churches. And, and I knew, because I just felt the Holy Spirit, you know, tell me there are thousands across our nation that have a church in them and it's never crossed their mind. And if we could just stir that up on the inside of them, we could begin to see something happen across our nation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that that moment really does capture this heart for Canada. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's beautiful. I'm still, still at the tears on your shoes. I haven't moved on from that part of the conversation. Like I'm with you with Canada guys, but I'm still there. I mean, it's the best. Like what, and I, do you, like, tell me about some of those days, pastoring, seeing God moving. Like how many years did you guys lead the local church? We planted our church in 1986. Now here's the thing though. Um, I was a dentist. So I, I, I didn't grow up from a background of church. I I just knew that church was the best. Somebody asked me one day, they said, you can do anything you want with the rest of your life. Now I'm a dentist. After going through university all those years, you figure that's what you're going to do forever. Um, yeah. But he, you know, he said, you just have to answer one question. What's the best? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to think. It's church. So on the yeah. spot, we decided uh, we're going to plant a church. Well, what do you mean plant a church? At that time, the, that, that language was foreign. Never heard of that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we stepped out and we started. And um, we didn't know anything. At least I didn't know anything. I just, there was no arc to support you. No, nothing. No, no, that's why we're there today, trying it's to support just, others. I, just, I knew what God did for me, he'll do for mm-hmm. you. And that's why tears come to my eyes when I hear your story, Anne, because that's what God did for me. My life was changed. I'd never be who I am if it wasn't for church, a local church that we could be part of, that gave us Mm -hmm. the gospel. And so it's just grown in our lives since that time. But it was crazy faith. It was. Like when God first began to whisper, I mean, John felt like, yep, this is what we're going to do. And then he felt like God said, you'll plant a church. And John said to God, I'm not telling Helen, you have to tell her. Because <laughs> it seemed so ridiculous. Oh, crazy. Um, you don't, you, we have three little girls um, that, that you just don't do that. And yet John came home that day. He had gone and met with a pastor and, and just felt this turmoil inside. And, and that question was answered. What's the best? And John's like, I think it's to plant a church, but you can't do this. And anyhow, bottom line is he said yes to God in that meeting. And, and he came home and he said, I think there's, there's something I want to talk about. I said, I know what we're going to do. And he looked at me and said, I don't think you know. I said, I know. And he said, well, what, did God tell you something? I said, yeah, we're going to plant a church. And he said, God told you that? And I said, sure did. And that was it. And we just launched yeah. out in faith. We had a little, we had been leading a small group, a group that had grown to, yeah, a number of people. And from that, we just told everybody, go back to your churches. We're not, you know, wherever you are, those that feel called. And it was a small little motley crew of about 30 people. Most of them were my relatives. <laughs> and uh, But then we just started and we've never looked back. And we started with huge faith. And we saw so many miracles. We have seen so many miracles and lives change people like Anne and so many others. And so I, I love the church funny, I'm planning at my first ever online women's conference, which I, I was at meetings this morning around that. And I'm thinking, oh, how do you do this? You know, and it wasn't kind of in the plan. And I thought, oh, well, we've always been on an adventure. Let's go. And, uh, and, but 
we've been willing to do whatever it takes. We've done crazy things, fun things, stupid things, wrong <laughs> things, but we still are completely committed to whatever. And we have seen week after week after week after week, the faithfulness of God. So many people who have come, given their lives to Jesus, met their life partner there, um, baptized there. We've buried people. It's it, That's the joy of 35 years in ministry, building church, is that, and we've seen generations. Um, we've seen the church now with generations. I watch our daughter and our her husband lead. I watch our grandchildren serving. It's a pretty great story. It's, it's who else can give you that? Only Jesus. And uh, he loves the church. So we love the church. Yeah. It's pretty special to hear like i wish people could see what i see looking at you like you're just radiating with joy when you talk about the church it's like you're it's like it's like you're talking about like a dear friend you know and i know you're not just talking about relate church you're talking about like church and all it's it's diversity and hiccups and weirdness and i just like i could just picture a couple of pastors listening or maybe hopefully more than a couple but there's pastors listening and i almost just want you to remember this like there's at least four people john helen jason and Anne. there's more but we just think you're the best. We think what you're doing matters a ton. And I just think there's like, there's a sense by which, I don't know if you guys feel this culturally, like there might've been a time historically where being a pastor of a local church felt like a cooler thing to tell your neighbor, but there can be the sense by which it's like, um, I don't know, just, we're not, I'm, I'm not implying any level of like persecution. I'm just saying like, it's just, sometimes we can, it can feel like, discouraging or overwhelming or there's a lot of attack against it because we're so flawed that god's entrusted this thing to humans um but it's so refreshing and even encouraging for me as a young pastor i just feel built up is what i'm getting at i just hope that's people's effect it's like what would you rather be doing with your life than building a local church and i just want to honor you guys for doing it for 35 years you're still building local churches um but the fact that there's no edge or bitterness or cynicism um, any, any thoughts on how to do 35 years and not become bitter or cynical? You keep showing up. Yeah. You just keep showing up and you keep believing for the best. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get to be a really good forgiver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get lots of practice, but, um, never, I, I, I have never lost my love for the church. I mean, mm-hmm. if I had to right now, give it all up for something what's the best still the same it's yeah. church yeah you know one of the things that and that's why i love like being in this room with with all of you and i think of we're not on our own i think one of the secrets to um our joy and our love for the church is we have traveled with amazing people we have a company um of friends and I would call them that. They, they aren't colleagues. They're friends that we have traveled with. I have people in my life that have been in ministry, you know, a shorter amount of time or a longer amount of time as that I could call up and just be real with. I think that has been a real secret mm. of just, I don't, I don't ever want to be out there. And I couldn't encourage you more. I think of you, Jason, as a young pastor. You've been in ministry a long time, but you're building a beautiful church community. And I am cheering you on. I am so proud of you. And Anne, you're part of Village Church, a beautiful church community. Um, and I, we're, we're cheering you on, but we need each other. We need each other. We are not. And I think that's one of the things that has happened in this season is we've never been more aware of how much we cannot do this on our own. But because I've had people I can call of a friend that may live in Australia or in America or Europe and just say, I, I, can I talk to you right now? I am going through something and I don't feel judged by them. I feel supported by them. But if I'd ever, I think early in ministry, I felt like I had to prove myself. I felt like I, I couldn't let people know that, wow, I'm hurting right now or I feel like I failed. Do you know six families just left our church or whatever? And you feel like it's your fault. But over the years, I've realized the best thing I can do is talk to someone who's a little further down the road than me and just say, what did you do when this hit? Because we need each other right now. Pastors are quitting in mass. There are so many yeah. leaving ministry right now. It's a tragic um, 
statement, but it's true. And I think because there is so much, it, this is a hard time to be a leader, I think, because you're being judged if you open, you're judged if you close, you're judged if you wear a mask, you're judged if you're not. And we have got to band together and say, I'm with you. I am, I'm for you. And I think if you have those people, and I can say we have navigated 35 years with the most amazing company of people. And, and that company has just grown and grown and grown. Yeah. We are not alone. And, and if you are or feel isolated, call us, talk to one of us because you don't have to do this on your own. And they really mean that. Like they're not just saying that they really do mean that. That's the, that's the beauty. I am, I'm just so curious as to what you, what are kind of the, the things that you implemented in your marriage to maintain 35 years of ministry? Because that's what you kind of, you teach us those, those lessons too. So I'd love for you to share with this audience how you've maintained, well, it's like over 46 years of marriage. Like how long have you been married? 46. Okay. We are very old. Okay. And then 35 yeah. of that in ministry. Like why? Yeah. what? What? <laughs> okay. Share, share your secrets and your tips. It's 46 years of thriving, not just um, surviving. Well, the first four were surviving. We didn't like, I didn't like those first four that much, but we've made, that's why yeah. I think we have a great marriage today because we decided we're not going back there again. We're going to keep yeah. moving forward. I would say that's why we have a ministry today. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, that's why we have a church. Mm -hmm. Everything came out of after four years of not knowing how to do it. And there wasn't any abuse or anything. There was just a neglect, a, a lot of, yeah, we just didn't know. At least I didn't know. And I was, I was probably the, the worst husband, you know, as far as well, communicating. You're the best today. Yeah, you've come goes. a long way, baby. And I have three daughters. Thanks a lot, God. <laughs> you could have gave me some 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 guys, you know, that I could wrestle with in that. But I, you know, and daughters are a little different. So um, we had to learn a lot, and and we learned it from the Word of God. Yeah, God's Word came alive to us. And it was our answer. And, and really, when we planted the church, I just knew there was a lot of people hurting like we were hurting. Mm -hmm. And if God's word works for us, it'll work for you. Let me tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. And really, that's what we began with. And, um, you know, we, we taught a lot over the years. But if I was to, um, to summarize all of the points of how to um, keep your marriage not just surviving, but thriving, you need to purposely stay amazed. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm still amazed at this amazing woman that I get to be married yeah, to. Yeah, he doesn't know everything about me yet. He still has to go treasure hunting. That's right. But, you know, we put practices into place. John and I have been pretty disciplined over the last many years. And certainly in all, we, we implemented this back in the days when John was a dentist. Things like date nights. They were, you know, we, there's 10 commandments in the Bible. What we added are honor the date night as an 11th commandment. We decided that if we were going to have a thriving um, marriage, we could not take for granted those times. So a lot of people, and think young pastors and, well, pastors in general, so often we, we discover that that they put everything in front of their family at a great cost. And so I would, like with our staff even, it was never an option. Um, are you dating each other? Are you spending time with your families? Um, and so when we say we we had a date night, we literally, it was on our calendar. John and I regularly spent time, he would date one of our daughters every month. Um, each, they each got a date every month. So you think about even those formative years in their lives, they were having dates with dad and certainly with mom as well. And um, we, I mean, the core, my core belief system is Proverbs chapter 423, pay attention to your own heart because it will affect the course of your life and the outcome of your life. So we learned how to do a self-evaluation well, how am I? And then how are we? And how is our family? And you know, today, I mean, it's quite funny, actually. John and I have never been home so much. We live in a home that we really enjoy in a city that we love. But you know, weekly, we still do check-ins. I, how are you? And we don't have to go out on a date to do it. We're like here together. But I, we ask each other the big questions, like how are you doing in your thought life? How are you doing in your God life? How are you? And we, we go deep and poor John sometimes he's thinking, really? I mean, Helen, are you going to go there again? Yes, I am. We do that with each other. And and we ask each other the hard questions and we check in on one another. We call one another um, 
into account. We're honest with each other. And so if we're going through something, we make sure that we talk to each other first. So I think that that has brought um, health and, and we sure laugh a lot, but all of those other things come out of the strength of our foundation. Which so can I tell you the story of how that started, though? Because the greatest lesson in relationships I ever learned was from who's now our lead pastor from my daughter, Angela, uh, when she was eight. So I was a dentist and I got filled with the Holy Ghost and everybody wanted to know what happened. I used to stutter like crazy. Now I'm talking and so miracles and I'm traveling all over and one of those trips I was missing my little girls at home and I had this idea um, I bought a card and I filled it out put it on her pillow dear Angela would you please be my special date on Thursday night never heard of it before just thought it was a cool idea well Thursday night I came home and obviously it meant a lot more to her as she was decked out ready to go and she walked down the stairs and it was the wedding walk <laughs> i can still remember my heart just went flip-flop and um so put my best suit on took her by the arm um we went and had this candlelight dinner date and then i thought how do you talk to an eight-year-old i had no idea what was going on in her world but i began to fish and just ask you know what do you do all day you have friends and she opened up and i made this discovery everyone's got their own world mm -hmm. and it's just as important as yours and they want you in but you have to want to walk a mile in their shoes see from their point of view mm -hmm. hear from their ears and I, I began this tradition of dating my daughters. And, right. it, and, and that, that little discovery probably has been the beginning of this whole relationship teaching that, that at least mm -hmm. I've been able to be part of. Yeah. Wow. It's, um, it's really special and convicting to talk about it for me because I got two little girls and a little guy. Hudson's our oldest. And they're lovely and we've had waves of intentionality, you know, re refreshed seasons of intentionality. And I'm just listening to you say, okay, Jay, like, cause it's, it's like COVID my whole routines all flipped around. And so things that were in place, even around work and stuff all flipped around. And like all of a sudden these different rhythms of like pursuing each child and Rach, my wife in different ways, like just, it was t like without any decision, just, they just sort of slip and ministry has this, way of grabbing every evening <laughs> just every evening and good people saying pastor can we connect and i love these people so of course they're going through stuff and i just would love to i, I first of all i just receive that you know fresh conviction and I, I don't think i can hear this talked about enough but you chatted about your eight-year-old and how she you said it obviously meant more to her than to me or something to that effect and i'm like oh that's been my experience and i'm like oh i need to remember that though do you know what i mean how, how, tell, talk about the fight to prioritize it and, and yeah. Jason, you're not alone. Um, from, from pastors, young pastors your age, um, for years, I've heard the same question. And they will ask me, listen, I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my ministry. What's the most important thing I can do so that I don't lose all of that, so that I keep it, you know, the priorities? And my answer is really simple. Get a calendar. <laughs> a, a big one. No, I'm not kidding you. Get a calendar, a big one. One, not, not in your iPhone, not on your computer. One that you can put, it, you know, eye level to all your kids. And on that, that calendar, before anything else hits that month, you write their names. Mm -hmm. And wow. they will become your accountability. They won't let ministry steal this important event. And they'll look forward to it all month long. Mm -hmm. And when it comes, it, it will be so important to them. And and mm -hmm. and write Rachel's name on. Like I, I would encourage you guys to be dating at least once a week and you can do it any way you want. Date to me is just a special planned time to connect. Mm -hmm. To you know, and and when your kids see that heart with mom and dad written on it. It, it ministers to them. It says, mom and dad love each other. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my answer. I love it. I love it. Talk to me about the experience of entrusting, passing the baton um, to your children in leadership of the church. 
that it, it it's fresh for us so it's um and it's really 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 important you know we we gave our life to plant the church mm-hmm. it it's it was our baby and it and it still is and um i recognize that uh, I wasn't looking for the most talented. I wasn't looking for the, the one that had all the gifting. I was looking for someone that valued the price of that baton. Do you know what this thing cost? And there was no question who knew, valued it, would treasure it the most. And that's why I, I knew it was our daughter. But I'll, I'll tell you also, it, it's, it's the most exciting thing to stand back and watch her, and and this what happened was, I'm I you know made the decision and and I told the church I said for the next year, there'll be two ha- <clears throat> two hands on the on the baton mine and my daughter Angela, and so we started that year and she was in lead and I was just watching. Well, it came around to October and she was teaching this. Um, heart and soul night. And it was like some of the best teaching on church I ever heard. And I heard the Holy Spirit tap me on the shoulder and say to me, there's your pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wrecked me. And wow. it's, it's, it's not like giving her my church. It's like letting her be the, the, the mom and dad, you know, of this church. And, um, and I'm part of it. And she's my pastor. Mm. Mm. It, it's, it's actually... It's so enriching, um, and I love seeing when legacy moves from generation to generation, and it's not always a child, that obviously, but where it's been done in a healthy way, I was actually listening to a leadership podcast the other day with, with, with Carrie and uh, John Maxwell, you know, amazing, and John Maxwell, just legendary, and he talked about most, most transitions happen too late, or yeah. they take way too long. And, and I think that that's true. And in some ways we were like, are we, you know, where are we? And it wasn't, it's never an age thing, but I think it's a sense of, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, anyhow, our, even our journey, I, it was earlier than we thought it would be. And yet I see the, you know, like John talked about it the other day, because had it been the way he thought it would be, it would have been February, like last month that we would have been doing it, but we had passed it on, you know, two years plus previous. So it feels like God was even leading in that conversation mm-hmm. because can you imagine trying to do that yeah. last month? But um, I think that's where we have to be so inclined to to trust. I think so often we don't know if we're ready because we it makes sense to, but you have to trust the Holy Spirit that he's going to lead. And like John said, it's not our church, it's God's church. And we have no question that Angela, she had to wait really for Rod to have that, her husband to have a sense of this is our responsibility because even though she's taken the lead pastor role, it's them together. It's just like John and I, we're together. And he needed to be ready and he had to feel called to that. He never questioned, he just questioned his ability. And the beautiful thing is since it's happened to watch what's happened in his life and how he's risen from strength to strength. It's quite a beautiful story. And it feels so right, so right. Wow. And what's it like to see things change? Because this is the thing about, we don't, some people love change, but like church is not good at change. And I think one of the reasons why leadership transitions, like we live in the, the moment, this is the decade of baton passing in the church in Canada. And the degree to which we do it in humility and courage and no strings attached, but with wisdom is the degree to which we're gonna be able to see one generation inherit the spiritual and practical uh, resource that have gone before. And I think there's a responsibility on my generation to be good um, uh, children of faith, if that makes sense. But then there's also a responsibility of the generation before. So I think any conversation on this transition is valuable. I wonder if you can give us a little insight into like just the experience of watching it. Like I know that one thing that I can just say about Relate is the values are so consistent from, you know, you can see it through what you guys stand for. But the technique and approach and some of the style, it changes naturally under different leadership. What's that, what was that, what's that journey been like of seeing things change? <laughs> I'm going to let you answer that. Well, actually, um, over the years, uh, we have always, at least I have always been a cheerleader for change. I think if things aren't changing, we're in trouble. Because <laughs> I actually think that, that the, the evidence of life is change. 
Once you stop changing, um, you know, you're just existing. And so that, that part, uh, I'm, I don't have a problem with. I think the, the key for us, the key for me, is not to look at the, how the church runs and the functions of the church and because everything has changed. I mean, if anybody wants to look at that, you're going to have to, what, what happened? But instead, look at the leader. Mm-hmm. And recognize and and be be amazed, stay amazed. And and Angela, she has just stepped up, and I'm just so proud of her. I don't question this for a second. She is doing a much better job than I could do. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. There's a lot of pastors I know that have done the transition, and I think that that their problem is they sometimes look at and think they could do better. Now uh, don't do that. You do not have the responsibility anymore. The shoes are not on your feet anymore. And you need to instead lift up that person and and build up that person, encourage that person that is in that place. But I I could tell a story or two that was of those early days (laughs) where... um, you know, there were some things John was a little precious about hanging on, and Angela honored that. But you knew the minute that she took lead, it was going to shift. Like you Saturday knew night church. Yeah. You know, she was not precious at all. I loved it, and she didn't. And as soon as that, she took the leap, gone. Are you still bitter? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I totally no trusted her. We no. can talk about we can talk no. about that night for a little I trusted her. No, you did. But there, I, I think about some of those. That was just one example. But, but she was very honoring. When he was in the lead, he was in the lead. But I think John did really good at now it's it's not my call anymore. But I think some of those early days, even staff meetings, when she would have pastoral meetings or staff meetings, she would just say, Dad, I I don't want you in that meeting right now. Not because she didn't value his input, but if he was in the room, people would keep looking to him. So she just said, I, I and she didn't want us to leave for like six months. A lot of people think you just got to get out of town. We didn't do that. But she just said, there's some meetings I need to just lead where people aren't feeling a disloyalty if they're looking at me, not at you. And so she was very practical in some of that. And John, I know, totally respected her for that. He's like, good girl. Um, That's what she needs to do. And there would be some that would struggle with that, I think, because they could still feel like, oh, I know a little bit better. I did it longer. But but he, I think, so beautifully, you were gracious and, and made room for that. Even though there were some things you would have questioned, you just... You just let it happen. That's kind of your personality, though. There's, you know, if it was my responsibility, I might have done some things different, but it's not my responsibility. So I totally mm. trust and believe that what she's done is actually better. It's the best. So something that I've seen you do really well is is uh, champion, like young, because you talk about your daughters, but also there's grandchildren. And there's these young people in their 20s that that is such a different generation and you you connect with them so well. And so speak to us for a minute um, to those pastors that are listening in on how do you connect with your young adults in your congregations and, and how do you build the young adults up that seem like you can't, it seems like so different, but really you guys are so well at connecting. You do so well at connecting. So Speak to that a little. I actually feel more comfortable with teenagers than I do with adults. <laughs> he, he always has had a, yeah. My, my goal in life is to never grow up. <laughs> I am always going to be, um, you know, more relatable to them. And, and I think that that's the key. You have to love them yeah, and you have mm-hmm. to appreciate them and you have to, to value them, not just put up with them. Uh, so many mm-hmm. pastors, you know, we're going to put up with them until they become real people. No, no. Teenagers are brilliant. Yeah. They, they are absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. They have the answers. Yeah. They just don't have a little bit of the gray hair to, to help, you know, bring that answer out, but they have the answers. You see, most teenagers would look at the problems of the world and think we can fix that. And yet when we get a little older, we think, yeah, I recognize the problem, but you know, what are we going to do with it? Um, teenagers aren't, aren't there yet. So I value that about yeah. them. Teenagers are all about relationships, Yeah, all about relationships. It doesn't matter, you know, um, 
if if you ask them, do you want to go someplace? The first thing they're going to say is who's there. Yeah. And I think God's all about relationships. And then one one of the things about teenagers is they're so passionate. Mm-hmm. Young people right. are so passionate, and if you value that passion, it'll grow on the mm-hmm. inside of them. They're looking for not comfortable. They're looking for a reason to give their life away. Yeah. And I, I I just think if you could put your arms around them and guide them, that's that's the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting phenomenon right now. So John 67. Almost 68 and next I'm, week. I became a senior citizen on my last birthday, officially 65, which is a little traumatic, but that's okay. We'll survive it. And I, you know, I still love life and have lots of love, a life left to love and live. But we have never, ever had a better rapport than we do today um, with a really young generation. And I think this is why. I think that they have no end of information coming at them all the time. I mean, they can Google anything. They can have all the information and access it at any moment. But they have few trusted voices. They don't know who to believe. So when they meet somebody who still loves each other, loves them, believes in the future, I think they are so curious and want to have a conversation. And I think that if we, um, I, so I've never felt uh, a stronger connection than I do today. I thought we always had a great one, but, and you often think that when you get to this season of your life, that they're less interested. I've never found a bigger audience than we do today. You tell us how to date. Now, so the Bible says, don't have sex till you're married. I don't know why, but can you tell us why? Because they, that's not what they're hearing out there. But when they hear it from someone that they can trust, it's quite surprising how much they want to learn from you. Hmm. That's really compelling. I um, I think there's a lot of data that comes out about the, the way in which young people are increasingly disinterested in the local church or faith or whatever it might be. And I think there's a lot of truth in the data. Like there's some, re- but there's also a missing piece. Like I think I really what I hear you saying I think is a key, which is like. I think that that generation could be part of building the local church if we can put their hands to it, if we can feel like, listen, the whole value structures that they function from are so different than even mine as a 30, in my 30s, you guys in your 60s. Um, But, but the currency is trust and relationship and they have incredible resources at their disposal. And I just think like there's a lot of talk about deconstruction and I don't want to mischaracterize that. But I also think that one of the ways we can channel people who are processing their faith questions, maybe deconstructing aspects of their faith, um, is how do we help give them hands and feet activity towards actually building up ministries, building up people. And I think there's something there, like the way that we could help them as they're navigating questions of faith and doubt is actually pulling them close in relationship and then putting them to the work. And so I'm just so compelled by, and that's what Relate's always done. You've attracted young people. And it's not just because it's cool. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, we don't do lights like that. It's not our style. Like, I think that that's not the point. You're missing the story. It's an attitude of the hearts, the leaders. And you, I just love that you've modeled that. And um it, it really, um, I think it's very, very serious right now that senior leaders think about youth in their church. I love that you brought that up. And I think it's like, if youth ministry stays a youth pastor's problem, we're in deep trouble. But if youth ministry and youth work becomes actually the attention of the senior leadership, then I, then we can begin to have the kind of conversations that have to happen right now around uh, the future of the church. Um, okay, you guys have been so generous with your time. Let me ask one question. Uh, before we go, um, um, what do you what do you see on the horizon for the church in Canada? What do you see here as we're still in the middle of the pandemic and we look and anticipate a day where things might open up again? And what are you guys dreaming about, seeing, feeling, praying about? I just love to hear you guys share a bit about what you see as you squint and look ahead. I think this um, there's a silver lining. In it's it's level the playing field, so there's no. It doesn't matter how big your church is, and really we don't have buildings anymore anyway to compare with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about relationships, mm-hmm. and it's all about going out there and reaching your neighbors and making a difference in mm-hmm. the people in your world's life, mm-hmm. and you know having you know community. 
even if it's on Zoom, you are actually spending time. And I think what we're hearing and seeing, like for instance, we have a community group that we lead on Sundays, which is just maybe a dozen people. Um, and I'm like, wow, for years, I would spend hours and hours um, getting ready to preach a message because I got the message and everybody's, you know, sits in pews and listens to it. And now um, we're sitting on computer and I'm hearing 12 different messages. Every one of them can preach. Every one of them have got something to say. And mm -hmm. I think when they begin to use what's on the inside of them and it comes alive and you see results happen, lives change. I really think that we will come back once once the things are back to what we might call normal. I don't think we'll ever lose that. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be the catalyst. That's going to be, um, you know, I think the secret sauce that's going to build the church and, and revival across our nation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I pray we don't keep just driving to our churches and bypass the neighbors, but that we stop with the neighbors and bring them along with us on the journey. I know that we have spilled out of our homes onto the streets. That has been such a beautiful story and God doesn't get the address wrong about where he's planted you and what who your neighbors are. I think that's essential. But when I think of this nation, I do feel there is going to be, I, I just keep getting the word an awakening and a coming coming into uh, re, uh, something beautiful, something I don't think we've seen before. I feel like I have this sense of, it's like we're waiting for a baby to be born and, and um, there's something fresh. The church is very much alive, but I think what we are going to experience, we haven't seen before. It's a new day for the church. I think there is a beautiful new day dawning. It's already been in the heart of God and that we get to partner with him. And I think so often we've been asking questions like, oh God, look what's happening, what should I do? And I feel like it's changed to God, this is happening, what are you doing? And I wanna partner with you in it. And I think something that has happened is, so I feel like barriers have come down. I feel like there is this awareness of how desperately we need one another. And it doesn't matter what the name is over your church or what all of your practices are, but we desperately need to come together for such a time as this. And I believe there is an emergence of coming together in a, and I'm waiting with expectancy, um, truly expectant for there to be something that is written across this land that we haven't seen before, that will be a declaration to the world of the faithfulness of God and his, his remnant church for such a time as this. Hmm. Amen, amen. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, John and Helen, for joining us and for all the work you both do around our country. Well, we are heading into our 60th episode in a few weeks, and we are so thankful for every single one of you who has joined in on these conversations. It's so helpful for our team to hear from you, what you're finding most helpful, challenging, encouraging, all of that. So feel free to DM us on Instagram or to email us at contact at ccln.ca. Well, in two weeks, we have John Mark Comer on. Some of you may remember him being on with us over a year ago, but he's back and sharing great insights and reflections on the role of a pastor, what his upcoming sabbatical is going to look like, and some details on his next book coming out this fall. All of that and more in a couple weeks, so we'll catch you then.